All right. Good afternoon. Let's get going. We are up to Parshas, uh, Parshas Mishpatim. And we are going to deal with the financial laws that, uh, that we have as, uh, as Klal Yisrael. Now, uh, it's very interesting first financial law that, that we have, which has to do with an Eved Ivri. I would, the question is, should we do an overview like we try to do each Parsha? Because there's 53 mitzvahs. Uh-huh. Oh, 52? Okay. <laughs> you, I, I made one up. I made one up. Um, but uh, there's, there's a lot of mitzvahs. We give a quick, here's a, a quick idea. Let's, let's do that to the, best of, uh, to the best of our ability. And that's like this. We'll break it down into... Um, a, a few different parts, and I won't dwell on anything till okay until we list all them, and then we'll go in. Otherwise, you get stuck on one or two, and then uh, it is. So the parsha starts out with the laws of a Jewish servant and how a Jewish servant after six years could extend, and then also the laws of a Jewish maid servant. Next. Uh, the laws of somebody who kills intentionally, and the laws of somebody who kills unintentionally and goes to a city of refuge. Then we discuss the punishment of somebody who causes a wound to their parents, a person who kidnaps, a person who curses out their parents, uh, financial damages if uh, a person harms another person. The Torah tells us directly some payments and hints to us others, but basically there's five payments that need to be made in order to be considered full restitution. If somebody damages somebody else, and those five payments are broken down into damages. Now, damages means the loss of value of the person themselves currently. You have to pay for loss of work, time off that they have to take off of work. You have to pay the medical bills. You have to pay for pain. And you have to pay for embarrassment. And the pain and embarrassment, the Gemara goes through. How exactly is that, uh, is that uh, evaluated? Okay, it's, not, it's hard not to dwell, to dwell on these things. Um, what's the law if somebody kills their servant? Um, what happens if somebody hurts a uh, pregnant woman and causes a, a miscarriage? Uh, the law that a Evakanani goes free if, his, if a limb is knocked out by his master. Then the Parsha continues on and describes... What do we do if your animal goes and damages a person? What happens if your animal damages an animal? What happens if you dig a public, if you dig a big hole in the middle of Delmar Boulevard and people start getting hurt? So it's not your domain, it's not your property, but you put an obstacle in somebody's way. What do you do? How do we deal with that? The laws of a thief. Double, sometimes you need to pay. Sometimes you don't pay double at all. Sometimes you pay four or five times the amount. Um... The laws of uh, animals damaging and depending on the style of damage is going, to in, is going to determine how much the owner needs to pay. Then the parsha goes on and describes the laws of watchers. If somebody asks you to watch over something else, so there's, there's different ways of watching. There's a watcher who has the responsibility of a shamer chinam. He's an unpaid watcher. What happens if you're a paid watcher? What happens if you're a borrower? What happens if you are a renter? Then the Parsha gets into the laws of people get involved in witchcraft and idol worship. Witchcraft nowadays we don't have anymore. Once prophecy was removed, really all sorts of these uh, impurities, Hashem removed them from the world to keep the equilibrium. The laws of a person who lends, how to do it, 
laws of interest, collaterals, so on and so forth, the prohibition of cursing out any person, the, um, the obligation to give truma and bikurim and the laws of bechar and not to withhold, uh, not, not to withhold those payments, the how to handle non-kosher meat, the prohibition of accepting Lashon Hara, the laws of testimony, the laws if you find lost objects, the prohibition of lying, the prohibition of taking bribes, an additional transgression, not only was saying harmful words to people in general, but specifically to those who are vulnerable, the mitzvah of Shemitah, the promise that Hashem gave us to, of the conquering of Eretz Yisrael and the blessings if we do keep His mitzvahs and watch over Eretz Yisrael. And then the Parsha really ends off with getting, uh, teaching us about what the, the setting of what took place by Kabbalah Satora. When we accept the Torah, we said Nasav and Ishma, and the covenant that the, of the Torah, and Moshe Rabbeinu going up on her Sinai for 40 days. Okay? Loaded. Okay, but we got it. We, and we did it pretty fast. We did it, we did it in five minutes. Didn't five minutes. Nothing, huh? All right. So here we go. Here we go. Let us, uh, let's, get, uh, let's get going on this. Okay, and these are the financial matters that you shall place before them. Before who? Before the Jewish people. Now, interestingly, the Torah begins the laws that we keep with financial matters. When you look inside the Shulchan Aruch, financial matters are put, there's, is put as the last volume. It's the last volume of Shulchan Aruch. It's Chaysha Mishpat. Chaysha Mishpat. Oh. Even though when it comes to the mitzvahs in the Torah, it's listed first. Why? Says the Satmar Rebbe, because as we're going to see with the very first of financial matters, which is, and Bez Hashem, I currently plan on, things change, I currently plan on focusing in depth on this, Bez Hashem, on Shabbos morning in the Drusha. But the, how wild it is that the first financial matter is something that, it doesn't make any sense why somebody would do it in the first place. Somebody steals from you, they can't repay. You're going to take them into your home and support them and their family for six years. Whoa. Nuts. <laughs> Nuts. B, B is, that's A. B is, even if you're going to tell me that this is something that, that there's a mitzvah that a Jew could do or should do, why are we starting with like such an intense one? First, tell me, you know, if you steal, she laid in the parsha and say, if you steal something, you pay back double. You don't pay, and then if you steal certain animals, you shaft and slaughter. Here we go right into like a guy stealing and can't pay back, and it's like the most intense case. You're starting out with like absolute intensity, like like with like a, a terrible thing. This says the Katzkarabba, the, the, the This is really Derecharetz Kadmelatayra. It's letting us know that when it comes to financial matters. You can't be a computer. You can't be a computer. And really, we're not supposed to be computers in many things in our life. Earlier this week, at the end of last week, actually, um, Rabbi Yitzdaum, Rabbi Yitzdaum showed me a beautiful Chavetz I asked him to email it to me. So I, now I have a Baruch Hashem, and I was able to print it out. The Chavetz says an, an, an incredible idea, and this segues beautifully from what Rabbi uh, Pesach Kron shared with us Shabbos morning. Shabbos morning, he spoke about tefillah, right? He spoke about, uh, you know, underlining things in your sitter and, and, having, and having meaning to things that, that are personal. 
Shav Yitzdown showed me a beautiful Chavetz Chaim on Shmona Esrei. We say, Ata Gibor La'ilam Hashem. You, Ata Gibor, you are strong. La'ilam Hashem, forever Hashem. Mechaye Mesim, you revive the dead, not only referring to the resurrection, but referring to our daily lives. Reviving the dead is to bring life into things. So, you know, to whether it's, it's with our health or w- with our strength. You get tired and then you take a nap and now you have strength. That's Tchiyas HaMesim. It's things coming back. Mechayim Mesim are you. What, what just happened? Again, notice where the word Ata is. You. It says it twice. Ata Gibar Hashem. You, Hashem, are the Almighty. And say, Mechayim Mesim, you revive the dead. Ata, you are. Why are you putting the word Ata again? Well, but it's unnecessary. You did this, you do. Well, what is that? So, says the Hidgah Chavetz Chaim, incredible. Hashem runs every aspect of the world. Yet, built into that is a system. There is a system. For example, there's a system called nature. Hashem made that system. Hashem also created Malachim. Malachim are angels that don't have bodies and they don't have halos on their head. But according to the Rambam, a, a, a Malach basically is a Ratzon Hashem. It's a will of Hashem. And this, it's a power that carries out the duties of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of Hashem's will. But it's not God's direct um, uh, hand that's doing it. It's Hashem conducting a power to, con- to be involved with us. Now, Hashem's still controlling everything and involved in everything, but he made something called nature. Now, nature could change. Okay, if we have time, we'll get into later on in the Parsha. The Torah tells us, Verapa yirape, a, a healer is allowed to heal, a doctor is allowed to heal. Rashi points out that if, a doctor, if the Torah wouldn't give permission for a doctor to heal, who gives, you, who gives the doctor a right? You wouldn't be allowed to. God has a plan, and who are you to get involved? But the Torah says, no, Verapa yirape. Hashem made doctors, and doctors are supposed to heal. That's what you do. And, and, you, and you go to a doctor. So there's a story brought down on Verapa Yerape. There's a, apparently a big doctor in Scandinavia who, I don't know what his, his specialty is. I saw this in this, one of these Israeli bulletins that I quote all the time. Um, he says that recently they, they, uh, they, somebody called him up. He was referred, somebody was referred to this doctor. And I don't know exactly where, where he specializes in. And when they asked him if he could do anything, the doctor asked, is this patient Jewish or not? He said just the statistics between whether or not we're, I have success in this with, with Jewish patients or non-Jewish patients are, are, don't equal up. It's a lot more success, he says, with, with Jewish patients and, uh, than non-Jewish patients. He says it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, he says, I have no statistics on those because it just it blows the whole thing out of the water. Um, but in general... <coughs> There's, there's ways that the, world, that the world is conducted. Now, let's get into this. So you have a shul, you have a yeshiva, you have a company, you have a institution, name it. Okay, law firm, whatever. Something happens. What happens? We have a policy. What's the policy? The policy is that the third time you show up more than 15 minutes late to work, you're out of a job. That's the policy. More than 50 minutes late, you're out of a job. Okay? Somebody has two latenesses, 
and now they come late the third day. So the manager says, you have a job. Sorry, policy is a policy. And they say, listen, my, my grandfather is 119 years old and 364 days, and he really wasn't feeling well. So I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I, I stayed up the whole night and, and I happened to be 30 minutes late. I really apologize, you know. And no, policy is a policy. This is, this is how we do it. None talk about this. This is how it is. You know, you, you know those people, right? You know those institutions. This is our policy. This is what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? That's it. It's what it says on the computer. See, it says on the paper, and I'll show you. And you sign the handbook. Everything. Everything. You, 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 you know this. You know this. I'm sorry. That's my job as a manager. So what's the, what does the employee do? The employee says, okay, so I'm going to go to the CEO. I'll go to the CEO. So the employee goes to the CEO, explain the CEO, yeah, no problem, don't worry, go back to work. Huh, I'll take care of it. What is this? a handbook. It's on paper. I'm the CEO. What is your business over here? I don't care about a handbook. Handbook's not for me. I made the handbook. <laughs> I made the handbook. I decide. I made the handbook. And you don't like the handbook? I'll change it. Like, what? Oh, Shiloh, what are you doing? What are you doing? There's too many. What's it got to do with the next? Says the Hidgah Chavetz Chaim, incredible. You made this such an incredible world with an incredible system and so many beautiful things in place. But let me tell you something else that I know. When it comes to giving life to something, it is you and only you that we turn to. There's no medium. There's nobody in between us. You don't need to be worried about policies. We don't need to be worried about handbooks. It's you. You're the CEO of everything. There's no statistics when it comes to the bunch of It's just you. My father, I'm coming to you and finish. end the story. Yeah, it's my kid. It's, uh, uh, yeah. That's for everybody else. That's how the nature works. But it's not how it works. It's not how it works for my kids. I, I made this. I made this. That's why it says the Chavaz Chaim. That's why it says Atah again. Atah means, you know, we're saying in our own recognition to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem. Yes, there's greatness. Everything that Hashem created, you're the Almighty. But we know that it's you and only you that we turn to for anything. It's not a policy. It's not a system. It's not a them. It's you. And therefore we repeat it. Because there's no there, there's no there's nothing standing in between. It's a precious idea. What a precious what a precious recognition of, of what it means to be in, in a relationship with uh, with HaKadosh Baruch. So so um, says the Satmar Rebbe, going back to uh, going back to how we started. Says the Satmar Rebbe, he says, in general, by other mitzvahs, again, what was his question? Our parsha begins with the, with financial matters. And the Shulchan Aruch waits all the way till the end to deal with financial matters. It's because like this. In general, there's policies in place. There is. There really is. What are the policies in place? There's a way that a Jew is supposed to wake up in the morning. There's a way that we're supposed to wake up in the morning. Okay? How does a Jew wake up in the morning? We open our eyes. We say, wow. I'm alive. Modani lefanacha. Thank you, Hashem. And then... We get up, we use the restroom, there's a blessing you make after the restroom, you wash your hands, you say some tefillahs, and you think, there's a system in place to keep us alive. Alive, I don't mean breathing only, but I mean vibrant and Jewish, and this is how a, this is how a, a yid is supposed to live. Unfortunately, there are people who take that atogib or Hashem, and they say, oh, that's how it works with me financially too. This is what it says in the Torah. This is what it says in the Torah. And this is the, this is the law. And I'm a man of the book. I'm a lady of the book. This is what I do. This is how it is. And 
Doesn't make a difference. You came late to work, I'm going to fire you. You did this, but, and you knew beforehand. Um, people get very tough, very tough when it comes to business. Very tough when it comes to financial matters. Very tough when it comes to lending money to somebody else. And we stand up for a matter of policy and a matter of principle. And I told you, you should only show up if you pay membership. I told you that. And you, and you knew about it before. You knew about it before. And then, now there are times where people will abuse the system. Not telling, not saying anybody should, ever, should allow them to be abused. But, what, but what's the, says the Satmareb, incredible. If we were to start the Shulchan Aruch with financial matters, you know what the first halachas in the Shulchan Aruch is when it comes to financial matters? Try to find the middle ground. You know what a Bezdin, when it comes to financial matters, is supposed to do, ideally, is to bring them to arbitration before coming out with a Psaq halacha. Come to, a, a, come to some sort of agreement that both sides are unhappy with. But they walk away fine. Right? Like a lot of places. Right? It's not perfect for anybody, but people are fine. It's fine. It's the first halacha in, in Chayish Mishpat. When it comes to financial matters, don't be somebody who's a matter of principle. It says Samarab, but this is why we need to wait to say it at the end of the Shulchan Aruch. Because we don't want Jews to say that the same way I'm supposed to you know, give in when it comes to financial matters, that applies to all the mitzvahs. Hmm. So therefore, says the Satmarebbe, we start out how a Jew wakes up in the morning, a person wake up, yeah, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't, uh, uh, the word's not compensate, to, um, to come to, to, to come to a middle ground. Yes, we shouldn't compromise. Thank you. We shouldn't compromise when it comes to other halachas. He says, but the essence of the laws of financial matters is compromise. That's the essence of it. But it's a problem if you do it in other places of halacha. So there, we don't want to bring up the idea of compromise or wait till the end. But over here, it's incredible. The way that the Parsha's Mishpatim starts, forget compromise. I mean, it's like you're completely giving in to somebody who wronged you beyond belief. And not only wronged me beyond belief, is now like... Not only they take my stuff, they're obviously in general uh, a sad case that they've got nothing, to, no ability to pay back, no future, no, no payment plan to, to a point where there, there's, nothing, there's nothing coming in. So I've got to take the whole family into my house if I want any sort of compensation whatsoever. That's, that's high level intensity. And says the Kutzkarev, but this is part of the Torah, as soon as we start getting involved in financial matters, is already kicking in. Like It takes major derecheres to be involved in anything that has to do with money. It takes major derecheres. And this applies to, to uh, any financial disagreements. This applies to, um, it applies to uh, fundraising and things of that sort. I'll just share candidly because I have the tremendous blessing of not having uh, 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 fundraising responsibilities. With the shul, even though there's times if you want to get something done, sometimes you just got to raise it yourself. But Baruch Hashem, I don't shoulder. It's been a big, uh, big bracha that I don't, I don't shoulder that burden. A number of years ago, I was at a, a conference of Jewish organizational leaders, and I was talking to somebody who's a fundraiser. I was a fundraiser. It's good that I'm very candid here. <laughs> Listen to what he says to me. Here's what he says to me. He's like, "Oh, what do you do?" I said, I, I learn, I teach, I try to do chesed. He's like, no, what do you do? Whatever. I was like, I have a shul, this and that. He's like, oh, so, uh, he's like, do you do any fundraising? He's a fundraiser. This is the first thing on his mind. So I said, I said, I fundraise when I feel it's a real partnership, but I'm not like a fundraiser. I wouldn't say that's my responsibility. 
He's like, oh, it's kind of shul. This thing. He's like, do you know you're sitting on a gold mine? You're sitting on a gold mine. And I was like, really? I never knew. Show me. How do I dig? Like, where, 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 where's this mine? Where's it? He starts giving me a gansazach. He thought the whole thing. He's like, no. He's like, you know, by yeshivas, people are there for one year, two years, four years, six years. He's like, dude, no. That in a shul, you live with people and you know people for 20 years and 50 years and 70 years. He says, and then everybody moves on to the next world. He's like, you know, a big thing in, in fundraising, big thing in fundraising, and I'm going to forget the word as soon as I, it's not, it's some, you get people to donate like some of their life insurance policies. What's that called? A legacy gift or whatever it is. He's like, people have dedication to your shul, an endowment or something. He's like, people are dedicated. He's like, if you're, you're accomplishing something for Klal Yisrael, all you need to do is go over to somebody. It doesn't cost them a penny. It doesn't cost them a penny. And you ask them if they'd partner with you and, and uh, give part of their, uh, you know, uh, if they have, uh, leave an endowment to the shul. He's like, they're living with you anyway. They want to invest. Like, why not? Why wouldn't they do that? Okay. So I'm listening to him. Seder. Listen, I, I am I, I, I'm telling you the abs- I am not changing anything. <laughs> this was a Saturday night. We're sitting at a Malava Malka. Okay, I was I spent a, a weekend. It was it was a, it was a Shabbos conference, and I come back to St. Louis on Sunday, and I'm looking at the Tiras Avigdor from Avigdor Miller that we put out. And in there, and I still don't remember how it came up, but in there, Bavigda Miller had a piece about how people should not do such a thing. I'm not telling anybody who's done this, I'm not telling you not to. I'm just sharing with Bavigda Miller. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. I don't want to scare anybody. It's probably a good thing to do. This is Rabbi Bavigda Miller's opinion, but it's because of this, I personally will not ask anybody to do such a thing. Maybe I'll do it myself. And I'll tell you why I'm not scared of it. Listen to what he says. A very, very poignant idea. He says, if you want to give tzedakah, give it while you're alive. He says, why? He says, imagine. He says, imagine. If you're a yeshiva and you need $500,000, you're not making payroll. The Rabban Shalom is not going to let you go under. Not going to let you go under. You need to make payroll. Where's that money coming from? He says, somebody who leaves their life insurance policy to yeshiva might have a bounty on their head. Maybe their donation's gonna come from the half a million is gonna come from, from the life insurance policy. Maybe their bunch of them has to say, you know, maybe your time's up now. That money's gotta go to the yeshiva. So he says, he says, you gotta be very careful. You gotta be very careful. I'm reading this and I'm like, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I, this guy... Gives me this thing on Matzah Shabbos, and I'm like, oh, Baruch Hashem, I'm not a funny. I see this Monday, I'm like, you know, Baruch Hashem's telling me maybe it works for other places. It ain't working here. I'm not asking nothing from nobody. I don't care if it's a half a million dollars. To keep the person alive for an extra week is good enough. You know what I mean? Like, this is not this is not that vital. But this is his approach. This is a pro- this was something that again, it's Rabbi Victor Miller Mahalach, very straightforward, very you know, he's got his way of thinking and this and that. Others will say. I'm sure others will say, eh, don't worry about it, it's fine. it's fine. Hashem has His plan for each of us and it's the proper time in life and our time's going to be. And they're, they're both right. 
it's just it's nice to know there's other views. It's nice to know there's other approaches, and it's something to add, some 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 to add. Again, if somebody has left an endowment, don't cancel it. I'm not saying it's anything of that sort. But this is Rebbe Victor Miller's approach, and I was like, you know what? Hashem made it that I should see that, so that I don't even bring it up to the board that they should think about this. You know, like, you know. And so, the, actually, at the next board meeting, I said, "Hever, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. This is something we're not. We're not fundraising like this. This is not how we're going to do it. If you care about your people, you can't do this. See, according to Victor Miller, you know, this is." What yeah. if Hashem wants this person to do that? You're right. You're right. I, I'm not. I'm not saying this to say it's the wrong thing. I think it's a big mitzvah. And otherwise, what's going to happen? Think about it. Otherwise, what's going to be with it? You might as well, if you have a if you have a policy or there's money, it might as well go to a good place, right. as opposed to you know uh, somebody else deciding where it goes. I think personally, I think that the gains outweigh the risks. The reward outweighs this risk that Rabbi Victor is bringing up. I'm nobody to argue, other than there are other. Uh, big Dalim who have a different approach than he does, but I, I just wanted to share that. I think it's a it's a fascinating approach. It's, and I'll, I'll tell you what his main point was. His main point wasn't primarily he wasn't saying people shouldn't leave endowments after death. That's not that wasn't his point. His point was is that there are people that wait. There are people that wait to give until afterwards. And he's saying if you could give while you're alive, you can give before. Do it. Do it. Otherwise, you're adding to the risk versus reward factor. But I don't think, that was really his point, more than his point was like, don't do such a thing because it's dangerous. He wasn't saying it's dangerous. But he's saying, if you have money to give, too many people say, I'll give it once I'm gone, when there you have this, this added element of, uh, of, well, if you want to wait to once you're gone, <laughs> somebody, you know, and uh, the base HaMikdash needs it, the base HaMikdash needs it. That, that was his saying. Yes, Rebbe Tengel. Yeah. So is there more of a plus to give it when you're alive when it kind of, you know, hurts? Absolutely. More than when. Uh, well, alive listen, I'll tell you something else. Kohelas, Kohelas is full of Shlomo HaMelech letting us know the, the follies, uh, what is the constant uh, folly of the world, is that many of us. Um, are more concerned about tomorrow than today. And many people, many people, uh, Baruch Hashem, it's not a lot, but let's say you have somebody who's 25 years old, 25 years old, and they decide, you know what? I'm going to, I've got the energy now, I'm just going to work 24 hours a day so that I can make a lot of money and then when I'm in my 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, I'll be able to give a lot of tzedakah. And then, and then Nebuch, they're gone by 33. So then they didn't live. And none of us know our time. And none of us know our time. So this is the dual priority list that all of us need to have. The priority is, what can I do now? In addition to that, there's an obligation to be raya esanaylad, 
to be dreaming about the future and not sell, set yourself up for failure in the future. Where there's even a halacha why you're not allowed to give more than a certain amount of tzedakah because you're not allowed to uh, create a situation for yourself where you're going to come on to others. That's where the whole chomesh thing comes into play. Why uh, the, the 20% idea is that you're obligated to hold on to things for your future. But if that gets in the way of not living now, that's a tremendous fallacy that I'll, am I wrong to say majority of people in our American culture <coughs> use they say I will not live my life for 40 50 years I will not live my life the way it's supposed to be lived that's what a lot of people do so that I could live my life properly for how long I don't even know I don't know he calls it a silliness King Solomon he says it's a silliness <laughs> We don't know. So no matter what age we're at, no matter what stage we're in, you take today and you say, I'm not going to be dumb with it financially, but how can I use it for mitzvahs? How, can I use it for, how am I going to use what I have today for, for a mitzvah? Without being foolish about the way that Hashem you know, creates, this world, uh, creates this world with Tava. But we can't, it's not a matter of keeping waiting. And this was really his point. More than like endowments and leaving uh, bounty, so to speak. His point was not to do this. And I'm sure, he, uh, you know, to me, the message that I took it was just because it was too close to this person talking to me. And I was like, oh, let me bring the board this idea. You know, the board's responsible for fundraising. <laughs> let me tell them, you know, this this idea, this big fundraising. And actually what I, and, but I ended up telling them, you know, this, what to me was Ashkacha Pratis. You know, so you can raise money, but let's not do it this way because I don't want to be responsible for such a thing. Like I don't, I don't need it on me. You know, if you want to give, they'll give now. They'll give, you know, they'll, they'll give now. They'll partner and and hopefully uh, we're quality enough. We're creating quality enough of a product that people will be mishtatif. But Rabbi Victor Miller was again saying that that we shouldn't wait. Don't wait. And and I want to share one more idea, which is really why I started on this. Because if you do wait, and this is what he says in the Pesukim, more in Perek, uh, Zion, Ches, and Tes, the 7th, 8th, and ninth chapter, where he focuses on this, he says, you should know, if you do wait, and you say, oh, I'm going to hold on to this, and then it'll be used after I pass, he says, you, there, then you have absolutely no control of it. So what ended up happening is you worked for something to be able to give something that you have no say in how it's being used. And this is true with inheritance. Nobody's any true how has any, nobody has any clue how those who inherit their money are going to be using it. You could try your best to give it to people who are productive and, and smart, but you, you have no control. You have no control. People leave their money to, uh, to uh, uh, wonderful people. Huh? Humane society or, or colleges. I'm sure many people, many people have left huge endowments to universities and, whatever. and then what's happening 30 years later, these universities are creating products that the people who donated the money wouldn't dream. And they don't want their money being used for such a thing, but it is. But their money is now being used to promote a product that they themselves would be very unhappy with, but they have no say because they're gone. They're not here. So they, they saved up and they saved up and they saved up. Why? Because they're, gonna, they're going to help and they're going to do so, and then the money says, "This is just the way it is." So we have to we have to be smart with with what's in front of us, and that was really Rabbi Victor Miller's objective. His objective is to as much to, to be smart to 
control, Hashem's in control, but as much as possible to be smart with and to, and to um, the, the word, proper word here is, is to control the mitzvahs that we do while we're able to, uh, while we're able to do it. Okay. One more. Yeah. This is a story that happened in St. Louis 30 years ago. There was someone who um, fundraised who is from St. Louis, and he also does taharas. So okay. he was down doing a, getting ready to do a tahara, and he pulled the sheet back, and it was the man who had offered him, <clears throat> who had committed to $50,000. So the, the question is, if that man who's no longer alive made that commitment, but he didn't live long enough to fulfill it, is that still where? How does how does that stand? I mean, he's, you don't get the schar. You don't you don't get the uh, the reward. You can get reward of wanting to do a mitzvah. There's, uh-huh. a, there's a reward for wanting to do the right thing, but the activity of it is and and what it accomplished, what what money could accomplish, it didn't. Right, so you, there, there's ongoing, there's ongoing schosim, there's ongoing merits. Even you know, even for people that that let's say give smaller donations to something that's, we'll call something something Torah, something that's eternal, something that's nitzchi. Even if that donation came in, let's say, in let, let's take a yeshiva that's been around for, let's take the the Mir yeshiva or Lakewood, because I know it's time frame a little more. Okay, so you have Lakewood Yeshiva. Sir Byron Cutler comes over to the United States in the early 1900s, and then in the 40s and 50s, it's a smaller yeshiva, right? He was going around and getting donations from people. Now, maybe some people gave more, some people gave less. Now Lakewood is huge. Imagine, though, if people wouldn't have given small donations in the 40s and 50s, and he would have had to close. We don't, we don't know. So they, they get they have continuous zchusim they have continuous merits because they kept the doors open while things were troubled and this happens with a lot of uh, organizations they go there's ups and there's downs and then there are people who stick with it and they say no we're not giving up on this we're gonna we're gonna you know make sure that this organization succeeds and, the and of this shul uh, this shul kind of over a hundred years Absolutely. old mm-hmm. right. Right there's you have uh, you know you have Chesed Shalemes and you have Bismedish Hagadol and you have uh, Mishkan Israel and you have uh, all these shuls and there were there were members that said that we're we're not just throwing in the towel on this we're going to figure something else out and and then Baruch Hashem so far we've had some success and and who knows who knows maybe once uh, you know if if Chas V'Sholem Mashiach's not here in our lifetimes and it keeps going for another hundred two hundred years we're gonna we're gonna all be part of this. We're part of coming to learn, coming and learning Tyra together to make sure that that Tyra is established here. And even once we're gone, we're going to keep receiving reward because everybody else who's able to do it is only because we didn't, we, we, you know, we made sure this place doesn't shut. We made sure it, it keeps going. It's a big, it's a, it's a, it's a very big, uh, very big schus. Okay. Let's, uh, let's keep going. So you have this Eved who's working for six years. In the seventh year, he goes free. By the way, this only applies to Hebrew um, man servants. Very interesting. A Jewish man is able to be a servant for a maximum of six years, no matter how much money is owed. You're not allowed to work for another Jew as a servant for more than six years. The reason is, is we are in this world to serve Hashem. We are not in this world to serve anybody else. It's wrong 
to want to be working for somebody more than six years. A woman is not allowed to be a, a woman servant ever, by the way. You could be a girl servant. If a woman, a Jewish girl, is under the age of bas mitzvah, she's, a, she's called an amma avriya. My father's kind of rachel would say the expression of amma avriya comes from the expression of mother, amma avriya. Every Jewish woman is called an amma, is somebody who's is uh, respected as a mother. And this girl's going to go, in, she's unmarried, she's going to go into somebody's house, and this family's treating her like an amma avriya. Amma means from the word aim, and avriya means Jewish, like a Jewish mother. Ay, she's 10 years old. She's 10 years old, doesn't make a difference. She's called an Amavriya. She's a Yiddish Amamala. She's a Yiddish Amamala. That's what the Torah calls her. It's incredible. Until age 12. At age 12, every woman is out. You're, a, a woman is, is not meant to serve anybody. <laughs> you know that. But, right, right, but, uh, but uh, at, at age 12, she's out. A Jewish man can only be sold as a servant for stealing above Bar Mitzvah. Because under Bar Mitzvah, you're not responsible. You're not responsible for payments. If you're above our mitzvah, you could be a manservant. A, 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 a Jewish woman could only be a servant. So what do you do if you owe somebody money? You find a way to pay back, but that's it. But to be a servant is, uh, is not allowed. It's, it's just an impossibility. The difference between a servant and a worker, you can work for somebody. The difference between a servant and a worker is that a servant is really dedicated to the master 24-7. Uh, a master could tell their servant, you're not allowed to give uh, demeaning jobs. You're allowed to give, you're allowed to ask uh, you know, your servant to make you a, uh, a tea at midnight, even if they're tired. That's part of what being a, being a servant is. You're more, you know, somebody who clocks in and clocks out has more control over their own life. Um, but that's, uh, but we're referring here to a male servant. Now, here's what's interesting. Let's say this Jewish man says after six years, I want to stay. I want to stay. Just listen to what happened. This guy stole. This guy stole. He had not a penny to his name. He can't pay back. So we say, okay, you're going to work for the guy who, who you stole from. And if this guy has a family, the master is going to support the family too. So he's now working for six years. And the six years, we say, adios. And the guy says, no, I love my master and I love everything. I love my setup. This is gewaldic. This is incredible. Why is he saying that? Because the Gemara tells us when a person takes in a servant, even though you have financial gains, because they do need to work for you, it's like, a, a, it's like attaining for yourself a master. Your servant is mamish like a master. This reminds me of my, my bubby. My bubby pair, when she, Kanina Hara, was, bubby pair, I think she was 98, 90, or I, I don't know the exact age. I don't know the exact age. Um, she was in her upper 90s. And that's when her uh, son, who lived next to her, said, Ma, you need somebody living with you. You need, uh, you need a helper. You need a helper. So she's like, now I have somebody else to take care of 24-7? Like, no thank you. Like, you know, that's how, a, that's how a Jewish woman thinks. If somebody else comes into the house, it's just somebody else for me to take care of. I'm not interested. I prefer to just do this. I prefer to do this myself. It's not a help. It's just annoying. Okay? So that was, that was uh, we, can all, <laughs> we can all resonate with this. Yeah, in, in whatever stage we're in. It's like, but they're here to help you. And this. It's like, listen, uh, somebody else will be to take care of. I'm not happy. So this guy says, I've been taken care of. I've been taken care of. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. The master's like, hello? Like, <laughs> you sure? Like, he's trying to be nice over here. <laughs> you sure don't want to leave? Like, but he's willing. Let's say the master's willing to hold on to this. I love my setup. I love the way it is. So, so yeah. Even if the master has a choice as well? Yes. Always. 
Always. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Could he have been sent to that, that refuge, that, that... City of refuge? Yeah. That's only for murder. Unintentional murder. Oh. Unintentional murder. When it comes to payment, the only thing that we have structured is the 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 Besden can order the responsibility of repayment. What if, what if somebody said, just forget it? I mean, they didn't want the family coming in in the six years and everything. So you forgot it. You're Michael. So you have a choice there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when we had a functioning Besden, which we don't unfortunately have in Gullis, which is a, a whole, what we'll call a Parsha in and of itself, uh, maybe that's worthwhile of a halacha class dealing with, uh, you know, Jewish courts nowadays and how to utilize them. Uh, because there really isn't much power other than arbitration or if you get uh, legal documents on both sides treating the, the Besden like a civil court and agreeing to all the arbitration there. Maybe there is something to talk about, but there's, it's, it's a big parsha. The, the laws of Bezin. So, but when Bezin was functioning, they did have ways to uh, force a payment. You know, whether it was <clears throat> taking valuables uh, from the home to, uh, to repay. But this was the best way to repay. And the reason why this was the ideal way to repay is because the Ganav is being taught how to reintegrate into society. And the same thing holds true with unintentional killers. As we've said many times, the unintentional killer goes and lives amongst the Levium, goes and lives amongst the Kolo guys. That's who the Levium were. So you're sending him to, a, to Lakewood to, to live there, to learn how to, you know, to, to learn not to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, but I didn't intend to kill him. I intend to kill somebody else. Yeah, I know, that's the problem. You know, that's, uh, that, that, that's part of the issue. But we're going to ship you off to, to be in a, in a productive environment. So this guy says, I want to stay for more than six years. He's stolen everything in it, and now he says, I want to stay. So there is an option. There is an option. And that is turning him into a nirza. Now, what's a nirza? A nirza is we take him to the, to the uh, doorway, and we take his right ear, and we drill a hole in his ear with an awl. Huh? You, you know what reminds me of this? Sometimes I go to Trader Joe's, <laughs> and I see these guys with like huge, like stretched out holes, huge holes. I'm like, how'd you get that? How'd you get? I wonder if the guy's a nirza. Like, you know, it was. That's what I think of. You think about, like, is that a nirza hole? Like, I wonder, you know, is that a nirza hole? It's big. Uh huh. It's hard. I don't know. So, so anyways, so this guy says, I want to I wanna be a nirza. So, what do we do? We drill a hole in his ear. Why? Says Rashi. You know why we drill a hole in his ear? Why not drill a hole, um, I don't know, give him a cartilage of his nose? I don't know. Whatever it is. I guess. Softest part of the body, but says Rashi, because this ear that hurt on Harsinai don't steal. And you stole. We're going to drill a hole in that ear. So asks everybody, and everybody means everybody, probably some of us here. When are we drilling a hole in his ear? Now. Now. You know, we should have done this six years ago. This is at the end of six years, we're saying, dude, you got to learn a message. You got you stood in our Sinai in this ear that hurt to live like a Jew and you're supposed to serve God and not serve a, and not be stuck serving a master. By the way, a Jewish servant, you couldn't keep all the mitzvahs. You couldn't keep all the mitzvahs because you're a servant. If your master told you something, there were certain mitzvahs you couldn't do. So you're obligated to function in life to, 
in, in, to the best of your ability. What do you, you want to stay like this? And never would drill a whole Nazir. But the question is, we should have done this right away. Why are we waiting till now? So I saw a beautiful idea. I've said, previously, I saw a few answers. I saw a new one this year. Sefer is uh, called Yabia Omar from the Yehuda Leib Gimel Reish Vav Yud Vez Reish Tes. I'm assuming it's pronounced Growerth. Yehuda Leib Growerth. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. Um, but he says like this he brings a parable, a beautiful parable. I really uh, appreciated this. He says, he says there was once a Jew, there was once a Jew who did the bare minimum when it came to mitzvahs. He was, uh, anytime, anytime something was enough, it was, you know, good enough for him. Now, there's a joke, I for sure told the joke about, about this guy in, in this setting. This guy, uh, whenever there was a leniency, uh, I'll share it again, you know this one? Whenever there was a leniency uh, in halacha, he, he was all in. You know, he was all in. So after 120, he comes up to heaven. And they look at his record. And they're like, dude, I mean, you always had... If there was somebody to rely on, some opinion somewhere, he was there. He was... Say, so look at this. You know, we can't say you sinned. You know, you really... Uh, you, know, you always had somebody to rely upon. You know, very good. So you go straight to paradise. You're going into Gan Eden. So this guy's pumped. It's great. So they ring him into Gan Eden. And he walks in and... They give him a dark room with a candle. There's a shtender, a gemara, and a coffee. And they say, here. <laughs> say, here. And he's like, seriously? Like, this is, this is Gan Eden? Is it? According to one opinion. <laughs> According to one opinion. <laughs> That's what you get. Okay, so anyway, anyway, this guy, uh, this guy, he gets by by the bare minimum. You know, if he, he, you know, if, if he could, you know, he always make, he puts on tefillin every day. He makes sure to get in before sundown, not necessarily in the morning with chakras like everybody else. You know, uh, if he makes it to shul, you know, he'll make it there for a 15-minute mincha. And, uh, you know, he's somehow is able to convince himself that uh, ultimately I'm fine. Okay, so the rabbi calls him in and he says, listen, Rabid, I got to give you some Musr. I got to give you some Musr. And he says, listen, you, 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 really need to, uh, you really need to shape up. So he says, why? So the rabbi says, because I heard there was one terrible sin that you did and it was actually true. One guy, this guy did a terrible Avera, whatever it was. He doesn't say, but he says, an Avera Gedaila was a big sin and he was caught red-handed. So the rabbi calls him in and he says, since you did a big sin, I need to put a fine on you. I need, a, I need a knas you. You know what I'm going to find you? You know what you need to do? $5,000 for doing the sin. You want tshuva? $5,000 to tzedakah. Ezu tzedakah shot the right side. I don't care what charity you give it to. Five grand. Guy says, listen, honorable rabbi, $5,000. Uh, not happening. Maybe there's another thing we could do. So the rabbi's like, strokes his beard. He's like, okay. All right. Instead of $5,000 for the next year, you got to fast every Monday and Thursday. Guy's like, fast? Are you joking? Yeah, he says, my, my, my blood sugar levels and this and that and my cholesterol. Says, I, I, I can't fast Monday and Thursday. So the rabbi strokes his beard. He's like, okay, fine. Don't fast. I'll tell you what. For the next three months, 
you got to sleep on an uncomfortable mattress. The guy's like, seriously, my back, my hips, my this. Kenish, Rabbi, what is this? I can't do this. I need a different, it has to be something else. So the rabbi's like, listen, I came up with three good ideas. You tell me what you could do. You tell me what, what, what should be your, uh, you know, how I should find you to get tshuva for this avera. So the guy's like, you know, I have an idea. I have an idea. For the next year, don't give me an aliyah and shul. Rabbi's like, dude, <laughs> you know, come to shul. <laughs> don't give me an aliyah and shul. Was it a joke? You show up from Mincha. We don't lay in Torah at Mincha. Huh? Yeah, It doesn't mean anything. Nobody, you know, how many, what type of knas is that? So says, says Rev Greibarth, he says, this guy stole, he says, this is the parable. He says, what's the message? He says, this guy stole, and we say, you know what? We're going we're gonna to knas you. We're going to fine you. There's, a, there's restitution that needs to be made. What is it? You're going to be an evet. You're going to be a servant. And you're going to learn how to live like a yid. And you're going to move into somebody else's house, and you're going to serve them, and you're going to pay back, and you're going to learn your lesson. Six years later, you come back, and, you, and we say to him, listen, go home. And the guy's like, nah, it's all good. It's all good, I like it like, hey, you kidding me? Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Says Regroybarth. It's now when it's clarified that retroactively this wasn't even a punishment. We, we just gave this guy a free ride for the past six years. That's what he wants. So he says, therefore the terrorist says, you know what? Before the six years, after you stole, we don't need to drill a hole in your ear. Your message is go work for another Jew and see what it means to live like a yid. That's our message to you. Now, six years later, you come back, you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just don't give me an aliyah for a year. And so you don't show you. This wasn't a knas. Nothing, you didn't learn anything from this. What was the whole message? To serve Hashem. Cut this out. And now you're saying, no, I don't, I don't want to go back to serving Hashem and doing mitzvahs and, and uh, properly. I'm going to stay where I am now. It's all good. It's all good. Life's the, life should stay the same and everything else is going to hurt my back and my hips and this and that and the money and that. You know so he says, now that we say it, the last thing didn't work, so now we're on to the next stage. The next stage of the game is, okay, Lysignife. The ear that hurt us, you know, Lysignife, we're going to have to give something practical that you could see every day in your ear and, and you went and stole and, and therefore we give... The, uh, and therefore, we're going to give the message. Uh, we're going to give the message now. So that was uh, just a, a new approach that I, I came across, and I, I enjoyed his parable as well because it reminded me of myself with a few things and my yitzharas. So I was like, "Yeah, you know, I need to go on a diet. You know what I won't do? I need to go on a diet. I'm going to stop eating. I'll stop eating like a loaf of white bread every day." Like, dude, you're not doing that anyway. Like, what? You know what I mean? Like, you're not doing that anyway. Shkayach. He tell you on a diet. A diet for what? You know? It's got to be real. It needs to, it needs to be real. Okay. Um, yikes. Okay, we'll hold it here. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? We're up to, we're up to an hour. All right. <laughs>